and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the young, hip, and lay editors of American Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis. Happy Easter, Ashley. Happy Easter! I won't torture you with uh, more singing, uh, both because... (laughs) Once was enough this week, and also because I still have uh, roommates who are working from home with me. Uh, but yeah, we're still in the octave. Happy Easter! Good to yeah, be with how you. Yeah, how was your weekend? It was nice. We we, uh, we did what uh, some of the things that I had planned on, like getting up mm-hmm. for sunrise, which was I saw that I was shocked. I saw I, your Instagram sh- picture. I was yeah. like, wow, he really woke up at what was it, five a.m.? Yeah, uh, not quite. I think it was six. Okay. Sunrise was at like six thirty, um, so not so bad. But I I didn't even need a nap, and we had a nice feast. So it was a, it was a good day, a weird day, a different day, obviously. But yeah. um, how about you? Uh, it was great. I was with my parents and grandpa, and then my sister and niece and brother in law. Uh, so we had you know a relatively full house for this period of quarantine. Um, and my, so we've been helping my sister out with feedings of the baby. So my Easter vigil was doing the one, the one AM ah, <laughs> baby, <laughs> which nice. was really sweet. So it was, it was a good Easter, different, but memorable. Well, baby looks cute as ever. So yeah, she's pretty great. What are we drinking? Cause we, Lent is over. Lent is over. And so I believe we've done this before, but, uh, there's some uh, symbolism in our choice this week where we've got some <laughs> Prosecco um, in, a, in a hope that the the rising bubbles of the Prosecco remind <laughs> us of our risen Lord. And so uh, they certainly if, do. If you'll allow me, I'm going to pop All this right. bottle. Woo. Well nice. done. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. All right. I will pour my own. This end. Oh, yeah. You can hear the bubbles resin. My wife says I have to share this with her later. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Cheers. Happy Easter. He is risen. (laughs) Hallelujah. All right. And who are we talking to this week? I am very excited about this week's guest. We are talking to Brother Andrew Corriente, who is a Capuchin Franciscan friar and the winner of the latest season of the Great American Baking Show, Holiday Edition. Yes. So if you have been uh, under quarantine, been home a lot, and you were hoping to up your your baking game, uh, this is the this is the show for you. Yeah. No. And it, he's a he's a wonderful guy. Uh, he's based in D.C. Um, and so I'm kind of jealous that I'm not stuck stuck at Catholic University of America with him because he's sounds like he's serving them some some great dishes <laughs> under yeah, lockdown. He, yeah. And we we realized that we've sort of had a. a we need more Franciscans on the show. They bring a, yeah. they bring a nice energy, an ecumenical energy mm-hmm. to the show. That's uh, Are really you implying that Franciscans missing. aren't Catholic. <laughs> no, but there are some <laughs> Jesuit Franciscan and yeah, rivalries yeah, yeah. that sometimes occur, <laughs> and this is a way of uh, our, us easing those tensions or leaning into them. <laughs> First, we've got Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. What's our first story, Zach? So this Easter, Pope Francis wrote a letter to members of social movements around the world suggesting that it might be time to consider a, quote, universal basic wage. Right. 
And it's unclear whether the Pope was referring to what we call in the U.S. a universal basic income. So this is a standard amount of money that would be given to every American, whether they work or not, or to something narrower, like a basic stable wage for workers in the informal gig economy. Um, the phrase in this Spanish was uh, salario universal. So that gets translated strictly as basic wage, but um, it's unclear what specifically he was referring to. Right. But in the context of, of this letter, uh, like you said, to social movements. So this is these are two groups that work with um, people living on the margin. So um, labor activists, migrant activists, um, people who represent low wage workers. Those are those are the people he's addressing. Yeah, it's a bold statement, nonetheless, regardless of the sort of specific policy recommendation. Um, And it's not the first time that Pope Francis has sort of made um, bold economic statements calling for reforms, um, in particular to, quote-unquote, social movements. One of the Pope's most sort of striking uh, revolutionary, if I I could use that word, speeches in his pontificate was to the Second World Meeting of Popular Movements in Bolivia in 2015, where he denounced both old and new colonialisms that shape our world's economy and called for some real, bold, structural change to the way things are done. As we've seen, anyone is vulnerable to getting the coronavirus, but the economic effects have not been shared equally. Um, So these people in the informal sector or the people who are considered essential workers who are having to go to work and maybe don't have paid sick leave, these are the kind of people he's saying need to be um, given a a fair wage, whether that comes in the form of a UBI or a stronger social safety net or labor protections. I think, you know, whatever version of it, it's a strong call for economic justice. I'm wondering what are your thoughts on uh, the Pope calling for some version of maybe UBI or just about the sort of policy in general? Yeah, I think I think it's important not to get tripped up on the more like technocratic. How do we deliver these wages aspect of it? Because whatever the Pope meant, he's been clear in this letter and throughout his papacy that he is concerned about how um, how. The poor have not benefited from globalization and how they bear the heaviest costs of globalization. So I think taking heed of of that message, uh, regardless of whether that means UBI or a social safety net, is is what we should be paying attention to. Yeah, I guess I was most heartened by the the Pope sort of suggesting or encouraging us to to really think boldly about the types of changes that are required, things that might sometimes seem revolutionary or utopian, the Pope is at least asking us to imagine a different way of arranging the world and also really like encouraging us to be actors of it and not just, especially like these grassroots social justice movements around the world, right? He he strongly believes that they are actors in this change. And I think that is worth listening to. I, I thought this was interesting because in the US, most of our prominent grassroots activist groups are almost always emphatically secular, right? And and this seems to be very different in the Latin American context where the church has uh, traditionally been much more involved in accompanying groups like this. Yeah, no, I mean, I think... I don't know. I wouldn't know if I would draw that stark a line in the in the U.S. Maybe they're not seen as activists, but there's the church is certainly on the front lines, um, serving marginalized communities. So yeah, I think that's fair. I get, uh, but do you disagree? Like when you think grassroots yeah. activist organization, does the does the church come to mind? I always think of the church as much more of a sort of like a the charitable arm, and it's sort mm-hmm. of accompanying people, but in a in a charitable way. 
Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And I think it that is why um, I, I think Pope Francis is challenging uh, the idea that you can just do charity and not focus on economic structures. Um, and so that is a challenge, especially, yeah, I would agree to, to Catholics in the U.S., which tend to separate those two things. Yeah, it's a good reminder. What's our uh, what's our next story, Ashley? So for the second time in four years, Pope Francis has set up a commission to study women deacons. Uh, this comes in response to the Synod on the Amazon, where uh, there was a lot of talk about the possibility of women deacons as a as a way to um, empower the women in the Amazon region who are already doing a lot of the pastoral work in a place where there are, you know, maybe one priest for every thousand Catholics. Um, so it was a response to that, uh, but it's kind of unclear what this is going to lead to. Yeah, so this is the second commission uh, to study the question of women deacons. The first one was established in 2016 at the request of a group of uh, heads of women religious orders. Um, That commission was unable to reach a consensus in their report to the Pope, which they delivered in 2019, um, but was also never published. And so we now have the second commission. Yes, and so it's all new members. There's no one carried over. It's 10 people, five men, five women. Um, I think a striking thing about the membership is they're all from Europe or the United States. Uh, there are no representatives from Latin America where this you know, synod on the Amazon was focused or in Africa or Asia. It's a pretty Eurocentric commission. Yeah, it does include two permanent deacons from the United States, which I was... Very interested in this. I I didn't realize, but we only have in the United States uh, 6% of the world's Catholic population, but we have 40% of the permanent deacons in the church. Right. And so that does suggest that. So the first commission was looking more at the history of of the diaconate. Um, So like what we can tell from early Christianity, the role of women in the church. Um, And the fact that there are two you know, permanent deacons on this commission does suggest that maybe they're going to, you know, kind of look at the lived experience of deacons in the modern world and how that plays out practically. Um, so so that's different from the first commission. So I think there are two ways we could interpret this. Um, one is kind of, you know, Francis doesn't actually want women deacons. And so he's kind of taking the death by committee approach where, you know, we just endlessly study the question and hope that people forget about it. Or he's taking seriously his calls for like synodality, getting grassroots input on the questions of of the life of the church, um, in which case, you know, it might be agonizingly slow, but he is you know, genuinely trying to reach consensus and involve the church. I think one of the things I'm frustrated by is that we can't really tell. We're sort of left reading tea leaves about how to understand this move, because, I mean, we don't we don't really know what the first commission reported. The report wasn't public. We don't know what their disagreements were. And we don't really have an explanation as to this membership. And so with a lot of things, this is just sort of how the church works a lot of the times, right? Um, It's not the most transparent organization in the world. And some could say that my desire for transparency is this liberal U.S. value. But I don't know. It still feels like we, we should voice these frustrations because I still think they are fair critiques of the process. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, but there's not too much we can report beyond that. It's early days for the commission, but we will definitely keep you guys updated on on what happens there. On this commission or <laughs> the third commission or the fourth commission, possibly. 
<laughs> yes. What's our next story, Zach? So our next story, we thought we would talk about um, sort of approaches towards the sacramental life of the church during the coronavirus pandemic. And we've talked about this in the context of mass and communion and confession. Um, but as you probably know, this virus is really changing the way that people are dying um, in the disease. It's often a very lonely death uh, because of the high contagiousness of the disease. And so the places where the church normally can be to provide uh, comfort and sacramental ministry um, has been extremely limited now. Right. And so in response to that, uh, the Archdiocese of Chicago has created a 24-man response team to perform uh, last rites on patients dying of COVID-19. So uh, the the Archdiocese called on priests who are under the age of 60 and have no um, health risks in terms of um, underlying conditions um, and asked them to volunteer to, to go into the hospital where that's possible um, and anoint the sick. Yeah, I know when my own grandma died, the the last rites was like a really, I don't know, it just it stunned me with how meaningful it was both to my grandmother um, and to the family. Um, and so this obviously is a real tragedy. Um, I thought it was interesting and worth pointing out that they've taken sort of special precautions in the sense that they're given, they're given extra training, they're wearing protective equipment, it's it's a small team with no health risk and also they're they're still in cooperation with hospital directives right and so in some places that does mean not being physically present um, and just providing pastoral care and spiritual communion the way that many of us are over the phone or with video conference yeah a contrasting example is in England the bishops of England and Wales have issued a directive that priests just should not try to give any last rites in person. Right. But we should note that you you can't actually administer the sacraments over the phone. Um, the priest does have to be physically present. He has to use his hand to put the oil on on the on the person, um, which, you know, is a beautiful part of Catholicism. It takes physicality and bodies uh, very seriously. So, you know, in a time when you can't be present, the church has tried to improvise. Yeah, and I don't know if you saw this. The, uh, you probably did. You, I know you did. But there's an interview that Pope Francis published uh, in a lot of different English-speaking Catholic journals around the world, where um, uh, the British journalist Austin Ivory, who's been on Jesuitical before, um, asked him about a case where, uh, how, how, basically, how should the church respond to cases like this, where people can't be physically present? Um, and the Pope told him a story about a bishop who called him up and asked him about a situation where he giving sort of absolution uh, to a community where he couldn't be physically present and whether or not the Pope thought that it quote unquote counted. Um, and Pope Francis basically told him uh, to fulfill his priestly duty and then find out later if he was giving absolution all around the place, which I thought <laughs> that is a Jesuitical answer. If I've, if I've ever seen one. Um, <laughs> and, the, the, and what the Pope was saying is not that canon law isn't important, but the whole point of canon law is to, bring about the salvation of souls and to facilitate that particularly in time in, in dire times in times when mm -hmm. death is imminent. And I think this is a dire time in a time when death is imminent. And it reminds us that mercy is sort of the thrust of what we should be putting forward with these things. Yeah. 
Which relates to our uh, last story of a priest in Canada who decided to stay incarcerated at the prison where he's a chaplain instead of leaving and not being able to come back to to do his ministry there. I was really moved by this for a lot of reasons. It's just um, such a, in a uh, I don't know, this is where the rubber meets the road with Christian discipleship in mm-hmm. a lot of ways and sort of deciding to s- to stay locked in and really be one with the people you minister to. Um, the priest is Canadian and has chosen to remain anonymous, which another reason I thought this was a like really beautiful story, but his Bishop, uh, Bishop Gary Gordon of Victoria, um, said that the priest has a long commitment to prison ministry. And so these are his people. It's not like this guy is just coming out of the woodwork and trying to do something heroic and pious for the sake of attention. Yeah. No, and it's it's hard to think of a more literal way to live out the beatitudes of healing the sick and visiting the imprisoned. So it's a it's a really beautiful thing. Yeah. And we want to know what you're seeing. We we were really inspired by this story, but we want to keep the conversation going. What are some of the ways that you're seeing the church, whether that's bishops, priests, lay people, women religious? How is the church responding creatively and devoutly to this crisis to bring about uh, comfort to the sick um, and joy to the grieving and mercy to the needy. So hop onto our Facebook page at facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical. Joining us from Washington, D.C. is Brother Andrew Corriente. He is a Capuchin Franciscan friar and the winner of the latest season of the Great American Baking Show Holiday Edition. Welcome to Jesuitical, Brother Andrew. Thank you for having me, Ashley. Good to be here. We are so excited to talk to you, especially now that we're all trapped in our homes and trying yes. to make ourselves better bakers. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah, you're actually the second Franciscan we, we've talked to this week. So we're, we need to guard our Jesuit identity here. <laughs> Lose it. <laughs> Just open up your heart. You know, we'll teach you about love for animals and creation. <laughs> <laughs> and food, I hope. Oh, oh, oh that's a given, please. Oh, my yes. goodness. <laughs> before, we, uh, before we get into your uh, your victorious season, mm-hmm. wonder if we can uh, tell us a little bit about your own background. Um, how did you end up uh, joining the Franciscans? Yeah, so I actually, um, this was never part of the plan. <laughs> never I, is. <laughs> never is, right? That's... <laughs> That's how God is, right? You know, like you, you want to, you know, you, you want to tell God a joke, you tell him your plans. Um, so um, my original plan was actually to work in the entertainment industry in Los Angeles. And so I was actually working at a very prominent um, talent agency there. And it just, it just wasn't working for me. I didn't, I didn't find any fulfillment, didn't find any peace. My passion and my drive was completely like done. I was burnt out. Um, and then, so I started looking through, and seeing different options, uh, maybe hospitality, maybe in production, maybe in publicity, but uh, nothing was um, hitting home with me, right? Then uh, my friend from college, she became a Dominican nun, and I went to her first vows in Nashville, Tennessee, and it was there that I actually met a Capuchin friar. We just started talking, and then 
literally like one thing led to another and then like a year later I became a Franciscan. Wait, wait, wait. one thing one thing led to another. <laughs> right, right. It was just like I just I just I just talked to him and then he was telling me about like the Franciscan life and then I went to go visit a batch of um uh postulants and I I I visited the novices, then I visited um, the friars information. And the more I kept visiting people, the more everything just seemed like it was right. Like it was something I should have been doing my entire life. So I decided to take the leap of faith and just join. It, it's hard for me to think of anything uh, more polar opposite of like Hollywood and the <laughs> entertainment industry than life as a Franciscan. Um, so can you, can you tell me a little bit um, about you know, what Franciscan life is, what's your charism, um, and Mm -hmm. how you kind of adjusted to that from like where you saw your life going. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, we basically take the vows of poverty, chastity, and and obedience. We structure our lives with, um, prayer every day and at least one hour of meditation as well. We do, um, house chores, clean up the house, take care of it, take care of each other. And, uh, we also service the poor. So, all of those things I didn't do <laughs> before, <laughs> before joining. But then when I got into the routine of it all, it just all seemed very natural to me. I mean, it's it's perfect because like I'm very like frenetic and I'm very um, anxious and I want to go do things and stuff like that too. And so the built-in prayer throughout the day helps me to like stop and like recenter myself and actually work through like a better place, you know, um, as opposed to before I was working through like anxiety and the desire to perform the desire to climb up the ladder. And now in a way I'm functioning in a more peaceful way. So you've been able to incorporate baking into your service to the poor. Um, but baking wasn't something you were into before joining the Franciscans, right? No, it wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) How did that happen? Well, yeah, I I always loved food. I always loved baked goods too. And I've always like sought them out all the time. Um, But I never actually baked anything really. I think I baked maybe less than five things before becoming a fryer. Um, And that was just like trying things out in the kitchen. And then one day I was in meditation in my first year as a fryer. And the thought came up to me was like, why don't you cook something? And so after meditation, I got up from the chapel and I just started messing around in the kitchen. And then I, I, I never stopped after that. And you, was that, that voice you heard, do you think that was from God? Like, is that what you're, what you're saying? Well, that's what I think. I hope so. (laughs) Or was it hunger? (laughs) Could have been both. I just really want some vanilla pudding right now. So so it could have been that too. (laughs) But I mean, like for, for me, how I try to like, like make sense out of it all too, is just that for me, I feel like it was God because I mean, the drive never stopped. Like I, I, I keep waking up and I keep thinking about it. I keep wanting to do more. You know, as soon as I hang up on you guys, I'm going to decorate a cake. You know, so it's just like where other things that I had a passion for, they kind of like come in waves, you know? This one has always has been the only steady one that I've ever had. So I love baking shows. And 
so the great British Bake Off and then the American version, it's it's mm-hmm. weird in that everyone's very nice to each other yeah. <laughs> and encouraging. <laughs> uh, so I can, I can see uh, someone like yourself doing well there. Can you tell us about the experience of, you know, being on set? You, you decided to wear your habit. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So you are very recognizably a Franciscan um, and probably pretty hot. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so what, what what were your interactions with the with the hosts like with your fellow contestants? Were they curious about about what this uh, Franciscan was doing on set? <laughs> what is this monk doing on the set? <laughs> well, because well, the first thing I had to do was tell them like I'm not a monk, I'm a friar, and then explain the difference. You know, in, in a way, monks pray and, and inside say all day, but then friars we service the poor also, and so it was a whole funny thing. Um, yeah, so my my. My, my time on the set was actually um, very hot, um, very stressful, <laughs> and very tiring. Uh, we worked about, like, um, we filmed one episode in two days, and each day was about 14 hours each. Um, and it's a lot of waiting. And it's a lot of anxious waiting, too, because what happens is we're thrown into this um, environment where you have to bake unrealistically <laughs> with um in very short time time frames and then just wait like for the judges to judge you you know so it's just very it's very um anxiety inducing in a way too which is like the opposite of how baking normally is for you correct <laughs> oh my God. Well, okay so it is and it isn't so for me like i think it was dora greenspan who said like if you're not getting anxious while baking you're not doing it right because um, <laughs> you never know if it's actually going to work, right? <laughs> you never know if you actually did everything mm-hmm. right. So um, um, for me, baking has always been an outlet of expression, of love, of giving myself to my community and to my friends and my family, right? Um, and then here, it was like, can I bake to impress? So that was like a huge like shift for me, especially. Um, and that was very hard for me because I'm getting judged by professionals. And they pick up everything everything it's it's alarming how much they picked up on one of the contestants said that they did the um the creaming method incorrectly for the cake and then when sherry cut into it she said do you see these air pockets in your cake it's because you didn't cream the butter and sugar correctly oh gosh crazy <laughs> like yeah so like the, the things that you don't you guys like didn't see on like that that were cut off like it, it's they actually they actually um critique you for about 10 to 15 minutes you only see like 10 seconds of it and so through that they're analyzing your structure your appearance and then your technique and then your flavor composition and they do not miss a thing um, so so more so what's more anxiety inducing religious formation or baking formation <laughs> They're different. It's like apples and oranges. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, well, you know, in, in a way, like uh, religious formation, actually, no, they're, they're, they could be in a, quite similar because religious formation is quite, um, well, if you allow it to be, it could be very rigorous because I'm forced to look internally and to really understand myself and understand my, my motivations, the inner workings of my soul and stuff like that, too. It's super exhausting, by the way. Um, and then take that and then take that into to my confessor take that to my spiritual director and then trying to see where god is and all of that and what god is trying to tell me and how i could like maneuver myself in a better position so that i could hear him better you know and so for myself in baking 
I've never been pushed in that level before because they were critiquing me so finely that it was very hard for me to like perform in that way. Similar to like religious formation where you're kind of confronted with your, um, your interior life. It's really uncomfortable at the beginning. Um, but it's so much worth the, worth the effort though. Yeah. This may be a, a sensitive question, but I'm yeah. wondering if you can talk about the cheesecake incident. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone wants to know about the cheesecake. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, basically what happened was um, we were asked to make a three-tiered cheesecake and we had to use like um, something to stack them on top of each other, right? So um, I asked my brother, who's good at woodmaking, to make some kind of like apparatus and make it very easy for me. And he had this idea to put these little peg holes where you just put the, the pegs in through the cheesecake and uh, it'll be easy for me. I could assemble it very quickly because the holes are already there. The pegs already like cut into a certain um, height. So it was all easy for me. But then when he gave it to me, he said, well, maybe now we should figure out how you're actually going to going to construct it in the round. And I was so stressed out from like deadlines of recipes to developing other recipes and from all these other obligations I had for the show that I just like shrugged him aside and said, I'll figure it out. <laughs> and so when I, when I got to the competition and I got to that round, right, I actually finished really early. And I finished so early that I made another cheesecake just in case the other one didn't set. Right. And so I thought I thought setup would be maybe like 10 to 15 minutes at tops. And then when I started to put in the um, the pegs, I realized I didn't plan it correctly to know where the holes were. And so like I'm jamming these pegs into this cheesecake and making holes in the cheesecake. And I'm like panicking because it's not finding the hole in there. And so I just completely blacked out. And I, I like I seriously like blacked out because I mean. It, I was like, I was bombing like no one's business. I was like dropping cheesecakes. And there was a crowd of cameras just filming me, like just fall over this cliff, right? And at yeah. one point, people like, can watch this, this on YouTube, by the way. Yeah, it's, I, I know, it's, right? it's stressful to watch. I can't imagine oh, going yeah. through it. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no. I, I, I literally cried after that was done. <laughs> but like, and then like at one point, a producer was just like, she like, oh my God, I can't watch this anymore. She like ran away. Oh gosh. What a vote of confidence. Yeah. Right. Thank you so much. Um, but yeah, so I just, um, thank God for, uh, Dana, Bianca and Sarita who came over there and helped me out. And then just, I just had to, it, it came down to the last five minutes. I just had to throw something together and present it to them. So, yeah. Maybe as a follow up, how mm -hmm. was your experience as a Franciscan friar, maybe unique going through one of a show like this? I could have never done this show without having found my vocation in life because um, the, my vocation and my calling has given me a sense of peace and stability um, that has, that was able to help me persevere throughout that whole month long competition. I wouldn't have been able to do that if I was not living out my vocation in life. How, how did that play out like in your prayer life or spiritual life uh, while you were oh, I, going through this? I prayed a lot. Like, so, like, I prayed so much. Um, yeah. So like, I, I, you know, I, 
I just, I actually did this one um, surrender novena. And actually on the day of the cheesecake episode, my, my meditation was I perform miracles in proportion to your full surrender to me. Um, and that um, I perform miracles to people in their deepest poverty. And so after the cheesecake fell over <laughs> and then I put it back together, I was like crying outside in the parking lot. And they said like, well, God, how are you going to get me out of this mess now? <laughs> you know, like I'm literally surrendering to you right now because I, I can't control it. Like it looks like a mess, you know? And then um, as the judging began, they went from each person and I was last and they were cutting into some um, like raw cheesecakes or, or they were finding things wrong with them. And when he cut into mine, he commented on how nicely it cut. And then they just, and as the show s- showed, like they loved my flavors and I, I just, I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that I was saved. There's a great uh, spiritual metaphor there. I feel like when you feel like you're bringing a mess to God and yeah, yeah. the flavors are still good. Yeah. Uh, so, but <laughs> the, the end of the story, the end of the story is that you won the entire show. Oh yeah. By the way, that <laughs> happened. Did you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The look on your face is uh, sort of utter, utter shock when you, when you watch it play back. Yeah, no, you can, you can tell that you're genuinely shocked. Oh, when oh I, I, the I, video. Oh my goodness, Ashley. Like I, that everything was like literally a blur. Like I, I still remember yeah. Sherry, like walking to me with a plate and I'm like, why are you giving this to me? What's going on? <laughs> where, like, where am I? What's happening? And then like one of the producers just kept telling me like, you want, you want, like I did what? What's like, what do you, and then like, and then like, and then another producer's like dragging me to this one place for an interview. And then another person's dragging me to this picture. And I'm like, what's going on right now? Amazing. So it was very, it was very funny. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it was very well deserved. Um, oh, thank you very but much. If we can uh, switch to the present moment, I'm yeah. wondering, mm-hmm. do you, do you watch the show, the another cooking show, Chopped? Where they have to like take in a basket of like the most random foods. I love chopped. (laughs) So I saw this, you know, meme that's like grocery shopping in the time of the coronavirus. You know, (laughs) what are you going to make with a bruised apple and a can of ham and breadcrumbs? uh, Go. (laughs) And so I know a lot of people are, you know, stuck at home right now trying to bake and cook with what they can. So I'm wondering if you could give them some advice. Yeah. Um, my main advice would be to study like, um, basics. Um, if it's savory stuff, how do you properly cook meat? How do you properly, um, make a soup? How do you, um, make a dressing? And so what happens is what's, you know, technique, you're able to basically do a lot of things. Um, there's this wonderful book by Samin Nostrad called salt, fat, acid, and heat. And it talks about the four principles of cooking. And basically, it's basically cooking without a recipe. As long as you know the technique, you should be fine. The same thing with um, baking, too. Um, There are certain ratios that could help you um, bake certain things. And so once you know those ratios in your head, I could throw together a jam from bruised strawberries, which I did last night. Um, I had leftover pie dough that I made into um, a meal foy. Um, I, banana bread, easy. <laughs> Gosh, you're just making me so hungry. <laughs> Talking, I'm just like trying, I'm like daydreaming listening to you talk oh, about Zach, this I'll come stuff. over and cook for you. <laughs> I would so love that. Like, yeah. 
after social distancing, we're definitely yes. going to make that happen. Um, I'm wondering uh, if you had uh, maybe one recipe, your favorite recipe to share with either beginner to intermediate uh, bakers that you would want to share with listeners. And we could maybe link to it in our show notes. Yeah, I'll send you guys a recipe. But um, what I actually did for the Washingtonian was um, Stella Parks has this idea of combining freeze-dried fruit with cream to make sort of like a flavored whipped cream, right? And so what I did was I upped the ratio of freeze-dried fruit. So um, I did this actually on the show where I combined freeze-dried fruit with cream, and then I added vanilla and salt. And then it creates this sort of like luscious, silky, like light cream that's full of flavor because the um, the the fruit gets rehydrated and then you taste the full breath of the fruit as opposed to the freeze-dried form. And it creates this beautiful cream that you could just like dunk your cookie in. You could dunk your your berries into it. Um, it's very versatile. And I, like, I use it for a lot of things. Awesome. Brother Andrew, thank you so much for coming on the show. We have one final question for you that we ask all mm-hmm. our guests. Mm-hmm. If you could canonize anyone Catholic or not, living or dead, who would it be and why? <laughs> That's a great question. I love that one. Um, oh, goodness. Um, you know what I'm going to say? I would love to canonize Julia Child. Uh, Julia Child is a woman who brought French cooking into the American uh, atmosphere. And she published this very iconic book called Mastering the Art of French Cooking. And she had her own television show and she paved the way for huge celebrity chefs, right? But the reason why I love her in particular is because I read My Life in France and she talked about how she lived in France with her husband. And the way she speaks about food, there's so much one joy and passion, but also humility and self-acceptance. And what I, that really struck me because she seems like the kind of person that would celebrate making a mistake, that would celebrate something going wrong and saying like, it's not about you, like, 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 you know, trying to make your ego good, you know, it's about you nurturing people and you like giving them something that you love to do. And so what I loved about her was like, there was no pretense. And that's why I feel like she should be canonized. I am All here right. for it. Yeah. And by the way, if you're if you're stuck at home on quarantine, Julie and Julia, great movie. It's a good, good read. Meryl, Meryl Streep killed it. She was amazing yes. in that one. She she yeah. Killed so if you're looking for <laughs> Meryl Streep as Julia Child, that's where you where you want to go. Awesome, Amen. Saint Julia, pray for us. And brother Andrew, where can people follow your work? Um, I'm on Instagram. My handle is this Friar Banks. All right, easy we will check that out. Awesome. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for talking to us and sharing sharing recipes with us thank you very much ashley and zach and god bless and stay safe okay yeah same to you thank you thank you All right, now it's time for some housekeeping. If you're listening to this on Friday, April 17th, it is America Media's 111th anniversary. So funny. We don't look a day over 30 (laughs) or 80. But we are, in fact, 111 years old. You might not know this, but America Magazine has been published continuously since 1909. Yeah, so through 
through two world wars, the Great Depression, Cold War, and now this coronavirus pandemic. Uh, America's kept putting out a magazine, and now we're reaching uh, readers and listeners in even more ways. And I have to say, having worked here for, I guess it'll be like seven years in September, it's such a wonderful ministry. Um, and I just feel lucky to be a part of that storied history. Yeah. So on our anniversary, it's a day where we ask our community to help support us. We cannot do the work that we do without the support from our listeners, our readers, and our viewers. And so if this show or other America media products have made an impact in your own life, then consider supporting the show. And one way you can concretely do that is by visiting our Patreon page uh, to support this show in the other ministries here in America. And speaking of Patreon, we want to give a shout out to our new supporters. So Mike and Casey Schmidt and Samantha Stevenson recently joined our Patreon community and a longtime supporter, Nick Frega, upped his contribution. So we are so grateful um, to all of our Patreon supporters and to all of our listeners. Um, and if you want to support Jesuitical and you want to support the work of American Media, please consider giving today. Yeah, that's patreon.com slash Media. All right, now it's time for Consolations and Desolations, the part of our show where we talk about where we found God this week and where it was harder to find God. Uh, I'll go first this time. Uh, I have a consolation, Easter-related. Um, as I mentioned before, I was in uh, I was celebrating Easter uh, with my parents and sister and brother-in-law and new niece and grandfather. Um, but missing from that picture were, were my younger brother, Thomas, who— uh, because he's immunocompromised, couldn't join us, and my older brother, Chris, who is working in an emergency room. Um, so there was this really stark contrast um, between like the presence and absence of loved ones this e Easter that made me just really pay attention to um, how much I love <laughs> my family, my siblings, and how much I value um, being, being close to them. Um, so I really just tried to pay attention to that to that love, both in its presence and in my longing to be with my brothers um, as we had our kind of unorthodox uh, Easter celebration. Um, and so, yeah, I'm sure a lot of people experienced a different kind of Easter, but for me, it, it'll be always be a very memorable one because of that. Um, and I, I'm just really grateful and aware of, of my love for my family um, this week. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Zach? I also have a consolation. I I'm here in Brooklyn with my wife, but also my roommate and my sister, who also um, has been quarantining with us. And uh, one of the, not every night, but we have upped our sort of quote unquote family dinners, um, the frequency of them, because we're, you know, there's nowhere else to be. Um, and last week is part of what we were calling Holy Week Film Festival in my apartment. We were watching uh, various movies that, uh, you know, sparked some good Holy Week conversations. Um, one of them was uh, Babette's Feast, uh, which is a favorite film of mine. Also one of Pope Francis's favorite films. So if you mm. haven't seen it, uh, it's a good one. Um, but before that, I tried out a new recipe. I made some uh, beef bourguignon and some potatoes and uh we we lit some candles poured some wine and it really was like we tried to get in the in the mood and the spirit of, of feasting together uh and then i found this article on america uh that i believe you published ashley in your faith yes. and focus section called uh this easter rediscover the art of feasting yeah um 
one of my favorite musicians, probably my favorite musician, uh, is the are the Mountain Goats, um, and they have a line in one of their songs called "Feast when you can and dream when there's nothing to feast on," mm-hmm. which is a spirituality I've tried to take to heart, particularly during this time. Right? It doesn't mean that there's not the problems in the world going on, but sort of this act of you know coming together and marking making our table sacred um reminds us that that's what Jesus did too even uh, on the night before he died that's what he did with his friends was he had a feast um and so i have felt more connected to both the family here and uh the the Christ the risen Christ that we worship uh in this easter season by through food and candles and wine uh, so that's <laughs> been that's been my consolation this quarantine uh, brother andrew would be so proud yeah I, I yeah i figured food consolation would be good you can find god in food it is true and drink more importantly yes cheers, cheers to that. all right get us out of here judge whittacle is produced by sebastian gomes our editor is noah levinson faith formation provided by father eric sundrup you can follow us on twitter at judge whittacle show you can find us on facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash judge whittacle Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. Jesuitical is a production of America Media in New York City. For America Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis. We'll see you next week.